Uh, good morning, everyone. Um, today I'll be doing a reading from Acts 20, 17 to 24. From Miletus, Paul sent to Ephesus for the elders of the church. When they arrived, he said to them, You know how I lived the whole time I was with you. From the first day I came into the province of Asia, I've served the Lord with great humility and with tears and in the midst of severe testing by the plots of my Jewish opponents. You know that I have not hesitated to preach anything that would be helpful to you, but have taught you publicly and the house to house. I have declared to both Jews and Greeks that they must turn to God in repentance and have faith in our Lord Jesus. And now, compelled by the Spirit, I am going to Jerusalem, not knowing what will happen to me there. I only know that in every city the Holy Spirit warns me that prison and hardships are facing me. However, I consider my life worth nothing to me. My only aim is to finish the race and complete the task the Lord Jesus has given me. The task of testifying to the good news of God's grace. Thank you, Calm. I want you to think back to when you were growing up as a child. For some of you, that's a little while. For some of you, it's a little bit longer, and that's okay. But think back to when you were growing up. What did you want to be when you grew up? You know that, that question, adults, we always ask kids that, and kids are like, oh, I want to be this, I want to be this, I want to be this. And then I think back and go, why is that always what everyone was asking? Like, why is that the thing that seems to matter? But it does. It's, what do you want to do? Did you want to be a fireman? Did you want to be a policeman? Did you want to be something else? Uh, one of my earliest memories uh, is when I wanted to be a famous footballer. Uh, from about the age of three, somewhere around there, uh, my dad started very early with me. And yes, that was my dad when he looked a little bit younger. Uh, he's aged a little bit, as have I in that time. Uh, but I remember being about three or four. And even by then, I had a mad keen interest in the West Coast Eagles. And long may that reign. And I was really, really excited about being a famous footballer. The only problem was by about 10, when I realized how terrible I was at football, I sort of realized that probably wasn't the best thing to be aiming towards. Uh, when I got a bit older, I actually got into computing. So I came in through the generation where computers were just part of the world. It was just what existed. Uh, one of the things I'm always really grateful for is that from a young age, Dad actually got us a computer. I was one of the first people in my class to have a computer. Now, we were not a well-to-do family. We didn't have lots of it, but my parents prioritized recognizing that this was going to be the future. And so I remember there was a time when I was like, you know what, I'm going to go into the computer industry and I'm going to get really good at being on computers. Uh, this photo is also a reminder that there was once a time that on the height that I am now that I was much lighter than I am now. And I look at that picture and go, who is that skinny rake? How did that ever happen? How was that ever me? Uh, but that was what I wanted to be uh, when I was about sort of year 10, year 11. Uh, by year 12... Uh, this was our school blazer. Fortunately, this was only for very formal occasions that we had to wear this, uh, like once, which was like the for the graduation and those sort of things. Uh, and yes, I did have the terrible bowl cut with a part down the middle. We make some really dumb decisions when we're teenagers, don't we? Like, you look back and you just go, what was I thinking? But at about this stage, I wanted to be a physiotherapist. Uh, that's what I wanted to do. I, I wanted to be a physiotherapist. 
for the West Coast Eagles. Uh, and I wanted to get into that sports physiotherapy. The only problem with that was I didn't quite get to the TER, which is what you now call ATAR, that was required. I wasn't far off, but physio needs like 96, I think, is the, the figure that you actually need to get into physio. Uh, and I didn't quite get there. I was close, but not quite that close. So I had to think about it, and so I sort of ended up going human movement for a year, because if you can't be a physio, sort of just get into the industry. Uh, mostly I thought about becoming a teacher through that, but my cousin had studied teaching uh, to become a phys ed teacher. That's what I wanted to do, uh, and he was teaching social studies. And I was not risking that. I was not risking being a social studies teacher. Sorry to all those humanities teachers that might be in the room. It just wasn't something that I was interested in. And then eventually... Eventually, I actually came to realizing that my calling was to be a pastor. Now, this was not the first church that I was called to, uh, but this is the picture from my ordination. I think this was actually just when I was becoming the interim pastor. Uh, I had no idea what I was in for, and I had no idea I was going to be sticking around for a bit longer than the three months that I signed up for originally. Uh, but I'm ever so grateful that I did. But I kind of came to this understanding that this is what I wanted to be. This is what I wanted to do. But then what I actually want to look at today, because we often get, we get caught thinking about the thing, the, the what I'm going to do, the, the actual outcome of it. But we're going to look at some passages today, and we're wrapping up our series today. And I actually want us to ask the question behind the question. So the question behind the question of what you want to do is, why are you here? Well, I don't mean actually here today, but why are you here at all. What, what has God got in store for you? What are some of the ways that we can look at the lens of our life through the lens of what is it that God is calling us to? Uh, we as a church, we believe, and I don't know where you're necessarily at in your own faith, but we believe that God actually has a purpose for every single person on this earth and that God desires a relationship with you that is more than just the day you give your life to him and then the day you die, you go and see him in heaven. That there's a whole lot of things that he wants to walk with you day in, day out. And so we're going to be looking at some passages today that speak to what this might look like. So we are, we're wrapping up our series. We've been looking at a series called Becoming the Church. We've been working our way through the book of Acts. It hasn't been every verse and every chapter. I think that would take me about three years. Uh, this as it is, has been about 11 weeks. And for me, that's a long series. I'm sort of a four or five week series person. But in this instance, we've had an 11 week series. And the whole premise of this series has to be, let's go look at the early church. What is it about them? They started off with about 12 followers of Jesus, and that grew to about 120, and that grew to about 3,000, and then that grew to the point where Christianity has gone to all four corners of the globe, and though it act, it's diminishing in some ways in the world today, it is still the single largest faith around the world. How did 12 people lead to a faith like that? And what might we be able to learn living in a culture now, which is a lot more like the culture Jesus found himself in? What was it about the way that they lived? What was it about the way they interacted? How can we look at what they did and use it as a bit of a blueprint to see our own church as we regrow and as we rebuild, and as we look to get back to being the church that God has called us to be here in Austin Cove or South Young Rock because it's not actually Austin Cove. So the question we're looking at today as we draw this to a close 
is what can we learn from the early church about why we are here and what that means for us? And I want to kind of flag, I guess, right up front, that when we actually answer this question, when we actually dig beneath the surface, when we actually open ourselves up to what this question might say, it's a little bit uncomfortable. I actually hope that some of what we looked at today, I don't normally like to make people uncomfortable, but actually today, I almost hope there's a little bit of discomfort as we really think about what the early church did to follow Jesus. Uh, so jump in with me to Acts chapter 20. We just had it read out to us. I'd love you to follow along on your phones, your Bibles, or whatever that might be. Uh, also, it's obviously up on the screen. And we're just going to start off with verse 17, uh, provide a little bit of context, and then we'll go on from there. So verse 17 says this. From Miletus, Paul sent to Ephesus for the elders of the church. And now, what you need to know about this is, if you don't know your geography, I didn't, I had to look this up, uh, Miletus is about 40 miles from Ephesus, which is, it's a long way, but it's also not a long way. But Paul has decided, he's sort of on his way to Jerusalem. He's decided not to go to Ephesus. He could have actually gone to Ephesus itself. He could have gone there. He could have seen the elders in person. But he's decided not to go there. And the context of what's going on around this is because Paul has a really close relationship with the people in Ephesus. He knows that if he goes to Ephesus, it's not a one-day trip. It's not a three-day trip. It's not a 10-day trip. It's probably not even just a month. If he goes to Ephesus, he's going to get stuck there because he loves the people. You know those parties you go to that you never want to leave? You go there and it's just like, man, I could just stay here all night. You get a bit old and go, actually, I want to go to bed. But there's those times and those places you go and you're like, I could just stay here forever. Paul would love to go to Ephesus, but he is called to go to Jerusalem. And so he actually stops in Miletus, but he wants to encourage the church in Ephesus. He doesn't want to completely skip on by, but he knows his priority. His priority is to get to Jerusalem. He's got a time frame that he's trying to meet, and he actually has to say no. It actually wouldn't be a bad thing for him to go to Ephesus. He would love his time, but he actually has to say, no, my priority is to get to Jerusalem. So we pick it up in verse 18. When he arrived, he said to them, when they arrived, he said to them, you know how I lived the whole time I was with you. From the first day I came into the province of Asia, I served the Lord with great humility and with tears. And in the midst of severe testing by the plots of my Jewish opponents. So he sits the elders down and he, he just kind of wants to remind them and say, you know how I lived. He was there for about three years. You know how I lived. You know what I did with you. You know the kind of person that I was. What's interesting when we dig into the story of Paul in Ephesus is he has a really fond memory of that time. And yet when he explains it and reminds them, he reminds them that he actually had to have great humility because he was challenged in that, in that space. He shed many, many tears. And they weren't just joyous tears. They were tears of pain. They were tears of heartache. They were tears of hurt. And that in his time in Ephesus, 
He went through severe testing. He looks back on his time with love and joy, and he really appreciated Ephesus. But you cannot say that his life there was comfortable. You cannot say that his life there was easy. Now, it was the place he needed to be. It was the place that he was called to serve. It was the people that he journeyed with. That was great. But he definitely didn't live a comfortable life. Verse 20. You know that I have not hesitated to preach anything that would be helpful to you, but have taught you publicly and from house to house. I had declared to both Jews and Greeks that they must turn to God in repentance and have faith in our Lord Jesus. So again, he's just sharing with the elders and reminding them and speaking. And in many ways, he's actually wanting to explain to them why he is going somewhere else. Why is he actually going to Jerusalem? But he reminds them here what actually took place was he shared what he needed, what needed to be shared, to who needed to hear it, where they needed to hear it. So Paul had shared what needed to be shared, to who needed to hear it, where they needed to hear it. He'd been in the synagogues. He'd been in their church gatherings. He'd been in their homes. And yes, the common practice in that time was you would gather once on a Sunday uh, in some public facility. They didn't have churches as we have today. And then across the week, you would generally meet with others in your homes and in your places. And you would do that in different ways, in different contexts. And so Paul reminds them, I've been in all of these places. I have shared what you needed to know. He wasn't afraid to share the gospel. He wasn't afraid to share the news that they needed to hear. And now, he says, and now compelled by the Spirit, I'm going to Jerusalem, not knowing what will happen to me there? Just take a moment to take that verse in. And now, compelled by the Spirit, I am going to Jerusalem, not knowing what will happen to me there. The thing that is very clear as you look through all of Paul's life and all of Paul's teaching, and especially as you look at any time in the early church, there is a catch cry again and again and again. The Spirit's guidance. The Spirit's guidance. The Spirit said, we heard the Spirit. The Spirit led us to. The Spirit, the Spirit, the Spirit. The Spirit was Paul's guiding force. How did he decide where he went to? Well, the Spirit would actually give him a feeling or, a, or an itch or a, a, a sort of hunch. Or There's different ways that people understand and perceive what the Spirit is saying to them. But at all times, in all ways, it was the Spirit that guided them. Should I go to this place or should I go to that? Well, I'm going to seek the Spirit's guidance. Should I do this job or should I do that job? Well, I'm actually I'm, I'm going to seek the Spirit's guidance. The early church recognized that they absolutely had to have an intrinsic and close relationship with the Spirit. 
And the pesky thing about the Spirit, if I can be a little bit light about it, is the Spirit doesn't send you necessarily to the places that you want to go. That, that the Spirit kind of has a, a nature at times of actually saying, yeah, you know that really comfortable place that you're sitting in? Yeah, that dark, dusty corner over there, that's actually where I want you to go. Not always, and sometimes that dark, dusty corner turns out to be a really nice place. Again, I alluded to it before, but when we started here, we came here for three months because we had a lovely life up in Junalup, had a house that we'd only just bought a couple of years before. Kelsey was well entrenched in the school up there. Everything was great. Toby was just born. We'll, you know, we'll slum it down here for three months and then we'll go back up to our real life. And God had other plans and we realized we're not slumming it at all. Actually, this is kind of heaven, but that's beside the point. It wasn't, it definitely wasn't what we expected. And there are other parts of my story that I've shared, and I'm sure you can relate. But what is clear in the early church is there is only one place to be. Be where the Spirit has taken you. Whatever circumstance you find yourself in, if you're where the Spirit has compelled you to go, you are in the right place. Now, he kind of left it unspoken before, and I kind of didn't want to give it away too much. But Paul actually has some idea of what he's going to. It's actually not that he has no idea at all, because he tells us right here. I only know that in every city, the Holy Spirit warns me that prison and hardships are facing me. I only know that in every city, the Holy Spirit warns me that prison and hardships are facing me. Woo! Yeah! Let's go! Isn't that inspiring? I, I, I'm ready to go right now. Paul's realistic. He actually recognizes. This is not going to be an easy journey. He's not following the Spirit's lead because it's comfortable because he was compelled to. That, that when you decide to follow Jesus, it's not because Jesus is going to bring you a comfortable life. It's not because he's going to dot all the I's and cross all the T's. I wish he did, because there are times that I'd like all those details. It's not that it's going to be easy. It's not that you're going to become rich and famous. It's not that it's going to get all of the things that you ever desired and dreamed of. But you are going to be in the place the Spirit calls you to be. And actually, there's every chance, and most of the early church history so shows us, that following Jesus costs. That following Jesus isn't the easy path. It's challenging. It'll often take you places that you wouldn't actually choose to go otherwise. Uh, it's why actually in the early church, they often made it hard for people to join them. Like today, it's kind of like, yeah, come in, please, please, please. Like everyone come in. You know, it's, it's really quite easy in many ways. And I'm not against that, so I'm not going to change those process. But they actually kind of made it hard because they wanted to make sure that those who decided to follow Jesus actually got what they were signing up for. You are giving your life to the king. And there's no promise that that will mean easy, happy days. However, and this is where Paul really starts to want to express to them. So why is he making these decisions? Why is it that he's doing this? However, 
I consider my, what, my, worth, my life worth nothing to me. However, I consider my life worth nothing to me. My only aim is to finish the race and complete the task the Lord Jesus has given me. However, I consider my life worth nothing to me. My only aim is to finish the race and complete the task the Lord has given me. The task of testifying to the good news of God's grace. That is what compelled him. That's what got him up in the morning. That's what he was thinking about when he laid his head down at night time. How am I following this aim? How am I making this the focus of my life? How am I making this the focus of my choices? How am I making this the focus of everything that I do? Testifying to the good news of God's grace. Now, it's, this is not low self-worth. This is not Paul saying, I'm worth nothing. This is not Paul sort of, you know, speaking himself down. He just actually has a steadfast, honest understanding of what he was called to do. He's not speaking himself down. It's not like, oh, woe is me. I'm, I am a worm. That, that's not what he is saying. He just recognizes that in the grand scheme of things, this is what he is to live for. One of the questions that people rightfully ask, because this is Paul's calling. Right? This is Paul chilling that what Paul is doing. And maybe this is just for Paul. And Paul needed to go off and do this. And the rest of us can just get on with our sort of comfortable Western style lives of just sort of making ends meet because that's hard, in case you hadn't noticed. And, and just kind of being busy all the time because that's kind of our favorite pastime. Uh, and that's just what our lot in life is. Except that Jesus is the one that gave Paul this calling. And Jesus is the one that gave this calling to anyone who would follow after him. In Matthew 28, 18 to 20, it says, Then Jesus came to them, being the 12 disciples, 11 at the time. All authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations. Baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. This calling that Paul alluded to of running the race to, to complete testifying to the grace of the good news, this is not just a calling for Paul. This was the catch cry for anyone that would choose to follow Jesus. The Great Commission is the mission statement for all followers of Jesus. I think one of the, the biggest challenges about living this in our life today, and if you could summarize the whole of this sermon series in one sentence, this is it. So here's your cheat notes. This is, this is the cheat note for the whole series. Uh, if this is the only one we've caught, this is great because this is the one you can really take home. There is one way to really truly fulfill the teaching of the early church. 
you need to fit your life around mission, not your mission around life. Let me say that again. You need to fit your life around mission. That, that mission is the thing that you get up for in the morning. That, that thinking about and serving God and serving Jesus and, and listening to the Spirit and being compelled by the Spirit and working out what that looks like. That has to be the center. That has to be the focus. And the rest of life fits in and serves that. See, the, the early followers of Jesus exemplified this approach to life. The, the early followers of Jesus. Paul is going from place to place, and the thing that is driving him there is that he is compelled by the Spirit to share the good news of the grace of Jesus. And the early church exploded because of this. Uh, so here's a few things, a little cheat notes for you to take home with you. How do we do this? I'm going to give you, I think it's five. Five things that you can think about, five things to percolate on. You probably won't be able to do all of these, but just maybe just look for the one that really stands out to you. And I think you're going to like the first one, but you're going to disagree it's possible. Uh, the first one is this, say no. Do more by doing less. I am absolutely convinced that the enemy does not need to convince us of wrong theology. I don't actually think that's where we get attacked in our Western 21st century lifestyle. I'm absolutely convinced all the enemy has to do is keep us busy. Have it in such a way that we just don't have time for mission. We can believe all the right things. We can have all the right thoughts. We can have all the right intentions. But we don't actually, he doesn't have to change any of that if he can just keep us busy. Say no. Say no to the things that you know are not going to create a rhythm and a lifestyle that allows you to live a life of mission. And I can't answer exactly what that looks like in your context. And it probably isn't a tomorrow thing. Uh, there might be a whole host of things you need to let shape you. But let that be the thing. Say no far more often. Uh, secondly, there's actually no such thing as a part-time follower of Jesus. That the only way this works is if you go, I'm actually a full-time Christian. I'm not just a Christian on Sundays. I'm not just a Christian in certain contexts. And in other contexts, I'll kind of just sort of do what I do. It only works when you've gone, I'm in. Jesus, take all of me. Take all of my life. Take all of my, all of my days, all of my time. It is all yours. Help me to use it towards your purposes. Help me to use it towards your glory. Help me to use it towards what you are calling me to do. And if you do that, you'll say no to a lot of things. It kind of helps with the first one. Uh, stay connected. 
If you were to ask a person in the early church if they go to church, they'd kind of laugh and go, what do you mean do I go to church? Like, I, I live it 24-7. The, the early church met in each other's homes most days, and they met together on Sundays. This idea that you would go months or weeks or a long time without being connected to your local body. It's just totally not there in the early church. You need fellow brothers and sisters. And you might not be able to make Sundays. We have lots of FIFO workers. We have lots of people who work shift. We totally understand it is actually not realistic for everyone to be here every Sunday. That is not what I am saying. But find ways to be connected in other times and other places. Uh, That's why I'm so keen to get this other model of life group or at least look at what that might look like. To create spaces that you every single week have an intentional connection with some other Christians that helps you to follow him. Stay connected and make that choice. You won't accidentally do this. Uh, Find your place. This doesn't just mean what do you do on a Sunday, though we've got some spaces and I've told you about that. But this is find how you serve Jesus. Find what are your gifts and talents and what can this look like? Uh, Your gift might be that you are a really, really awesome teacher and you can serve the mission of God by teaching your little heart out in your local school, whether it's a Christian school or a government school or whatever that might be. But find ways to do it through the lens of mission, and let that be the real heartbeat of why you do what you do and where you do it. Sometimes in life, you've just got to do some stuff for a while, and maybe that's not what you want to do long term. But in that time, find ways to have a missional focus. Don't just let time go by and just sort of, you know, kick it down the road. Let that be the lens you put it through. Look for missional crossovers. What does that mean? This means uh, finding those things that you might love to do that you can also do on mission. So I coach volleyball. I absolutely love my coaching. It's Wednesday afternoons. Uh, they They know that I'm a Christian. But I am absolutely intentionally in that space looking for ways to be connected in my faith. Uh, looking for ways to connect with people, other coaches representing Jesus in that space. I don't, I have to be very careful here. I, I don't put my Christian hat off when I get on the court. That means you don't do some things that some sports people might do because they forget that they're also following Jesus. They get a bit excited. I can get a bit excited, but I'm always following Jesus. And I recognize that I, I wanted to find ways that I could serve God and also have an outlet. And so volleyball is one of my ways of doing that. And then the final one, and I'm a typical preacher with this one, I've got some Fs for you. So different lenses, different spheres of life, that if you can get these spheres and look at every one of these spheres of life through the lens of mission, through the lens of what does it mean for me to be a follower of Jesus in these areas. If you can get these ones together, you will live a life on mission. You won't just be fitting mission around life. You will be living life and it'll be on mission. If you have the sphere of family, now that might be your, you know, your immediate family, that might be the broader family. But how in that context are you living out the life-giving good news of Jesus? Uh, it might be in your friends, in the context with your friends. It's important to actually have friends that don't know Jesus and to put yourself in environments where you can connect with people who are far from God. 
But also those friends who are Christian, how are you making sure that you're making time for them and that you're catching up with them and letting them speak into your life? As the area of finances, how we spend our money tells us where our heart is. How we use our finances will definitely show what's important to you. And if the mission of God is important to you, it should show up in how you use your finances. Uh, field of work. I had to do a stretch here because I had to find an F word that fit with work. Uh, but So what's your field of work? What's the area that you're in? And you might love your job, you might hate your job, but you can absolutely look at it through the lens of mission. And finally, how do you have fun? Please have fun. Please, please find some outlets. Please find some places that you can just sort of sit back. And, you know, in those places, it might be with some good friends. It might be some sport you do or a club that you're a part of or something like that. But even in those places, you can be on mission for Jesus. And you'll notice that prison is not included on any of these. And I haven't said that you need to go to prison to do this. Though we have people who work in a prison, so you might need to go to prison to do this. But sorry, about others of us, we're not necessarily called to go to prison. But really in the scheme of things, what it means to follow Jesus today, we get off lightly. We really get off lightly compared to the early church. So let's live on mission. Let's become the church. As we rebuild at Austin Cove, let's let this be at the very heart of what we do, that we are an intentional church living on mission, living 24-7. Don't get too tired because actually Jesus said that if you follow him, his burden is light, that when we actually find the rhythm that God has called us to live, it is incredibly freeing if we live mission for him. So let's become the church. Let's be the church in this area, in South Yandrup, in the broader Shire of Murray, in the broader Peel region, and to the ends of the earth and make a difference for Jesus. Let's pray. Father, we thank you so much for all that you do for us. We pray that you would help us in the different areas that we have that we need to make some changes, we need to make some shifts. Help us to prioritize our focus for you. Help us to live on mission and not just fit mission in with our life. Let it be at the heart of what we do. We praise you and thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.